It's winter, and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel, sorry, no, but angel hair pasta. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Okay, here we go. Inside Sports tonight. We have a lot to talk about. Thanks a lot for tuning in. I don't know if you saw this update here on that damaged Stanley Cup. It was Patrick Maroon who dropped it and dented it last week. He did an interview with a St. Louis radio station. Says it was obviously raining and it was wet. I went to lift it and I went backwards with it. I slipped. My brother Phil held me up. The cup went, the cup went back on its end. Went on to say, people are saying we disrespected the cup. That's such BS because if they had half a brain, you know, it's wet outside. You think we'd be throwing the cup around? No, we didn't disrespect it. It was a complete accident and we both got hurt. My back has been hurt all day. But yeah, that's what happened. Nothing crazy. The keeper of the cup, Phil Pritchard, according to Maroon, assured him that the dent wasn't an issue. And as you know, the uh, cup went back to Montreal to have the dent repaired. Uh, I, I mean, look. Obviously, nobody's going to intentionally damage the Stanley Cup, who has just won it. But part of winning the thing is that you get to party with it, and things happen. And we see pictures and video now more than ever in the age of cell phones that have cameras built into them. And uh, I'm sure there probably are some things out there that maybe aren't documented that perhaps could be considered disrespecting the cup if we did have documented uh, do- documentation of them. But that's the lowdown there from Patrick Maroon, who has won three consecutive Stanley Cups, two with the Lightning, and don't forget he was on the St. Louis Blues the year before that. Thanks a lot for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins. Follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. You can email me inside sports at 630ched.com. And you can reach by texting or calling the same number. It's the hotline presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials, 780-496-0063. This week has been full of discussion and analysis and opinion on the trade that brought Duncan Keith to the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers taking on Keith's $5.5 million cap hit. They get a uh, prospect who probably isn't going to play in the NHL, and they give up Caleb Jones and a third-round pick in 2022. The Oilers do not have a third-round pick this year. They do not have a second-round pick this year. And the draft is next weekend. We'll have coverage for you Friday night, round one, and then we'll be back again Saturday morning to take you through rounds two through seven. And we'll look ahead a little bit to the draft later on on the show tonight because two members of the Edmonton Oil Kings could go in the first round. They could go very, very high. Brad Lauer, Edmonton Oil Kings head coach, is going to hop on a little bit later on. So that's how the trade broke down. And don't forget the conditions in that trade. And there are conditions that if uh, they are met, I think most Oilers fans would be fine with. The third round pick in 2022 becomes a second round pick if the Oilers make the Stanley Cup final next spring. And if... In those winning those three rounds of the postseason, Duncan Keith is among the top four in total ice time for 
Oilers defenseman. If those two conditions are met, I'm sure uh, there would be much celebration in oil country as that would mean the Oilers are playing for the uh, Stanley Cup and Duncan Keith is probably an important member of the team. So anyway, we've been talking about that a lot and that'll continue to be a a big talking point throughout the summer and uh, other storylines that are going to come up. We continue to wait and see what's going to happen with Adam Larson. Bob and I talked about that on the show last night and uh, it's starting to seem like Adam Larson is going to test free agency which is july 28th this year july 28th busy sequence coming up here on saturday the teams have to present their protected lists for the expansion draft so they have to list the players that the seattle kraken will not be able to select off their roster each team is going to lose one player except the vegas golden knights they are exempt from the expansion draft because they're a relatively new franchise themselves even though they've been performing well above the level of a traditional expansion franchise so that's when that is submitted the expansion list on saturday the expansion draft is a week from today july 21st i mentioned the nhl draft held remotely once again next friday and saturday and then free agency two weeks from today wednesday the uh, 28th and then uh you know, usually free agency is hot and heavy for a few days and then things tend to uh, trail off and then we're going to be back uh, probably the third week of September for training camp. So anyway, just a quick look ahead at some key dates there in the National Hockey League. Should get the schedule coming out uh, late next week as well. And as you may have seen, there are two drafts for the schedule. One of them has an Olympic break. The other one does not because we don't know for sure if NHL players are going to participate in the Olympics. That's yet another off-season storyline. So anyway, we've been talking a lot about Duncan Keith this week, uh, as you would expect, and you can still chime in on that, 780-496-0063. That's going to be an interesting one to see how it works out. Uh, Again, you know, I think that I, I understand why the deal was made. I think that Duncan Keith uh, will add some important things to the Oilers. I do think his leadership will make a difference. I do think the good old hard to play, hard to play against thing will make a difference. Let's face it. It helps to have guys on your team that are willing to go out there and kind of be jerks when they're on the ice. And Duncan Keith has proven that uh, he's able to do that. I, I do think he'll come to the camp uh, in tr- to training camp in excellent shape and uh, in great physical condition and be motivated and all those types of things. The question is, how much will his ability, and I, for me specifically, his skating, have dropped off um, from the end of last season? And, and look, I, I've seen a lot of the stuff posted by people. Uh, you guys have certainly uh, shared your opinion with me on this show. And uh, I, I've seen, I, I, I certainly don't pay attention to some stuff on social media, but there is some really interesting stuff out there as well. And I've seen the video clips of here's Keith uh, being beaten wide. Here's Keith losing a race to the puck, all that kind of stuff. Yes, you can cherry pick those things and, and find video probably to make almost any player in the NHL look bad. But you see things like, well, I won't say you, I'll say I see things like that. And uh, it can make me a little bit concerned about how he might do against some of the best players in the NHL. Will he always get those matchups? Probably not. I think the Oilers are, are going to have other uh, players on in that situation whenever they can. But still, you can't totally shelter a player all the time. And if the Oilers want Duncan Keith to lead the way, show leadership, uh, mentor, all that kind of stuff, then I think sometimes you have to say, hey, man, we trust you to put, to put you in a tough situation and that you're going to handle it. And hopefully, ability-wise, that uh, he can. So, But he's one part of the team. We, we know what the Oilers' other uh, weaknesses are. They're still looking for at least one more top six winger, preferably somebody who can snipe the pill a little bit. Uh, Third-line center, at the very least, I still often argue that they 
probably need an entire third line. And uh, we'll see what happens on, on defense. If they don't uh, keep Adam Larson, how are they still going to round out that a little bit? And then, and then we get to goaltending, which still is and probably always will be as long as hockey exists, the, the most important position on the ice. And, and of course, it's a complex team game and you need depth and you need all the other things that I talked about. But there aren't a lot of good hockey teams that don't have at least average goaltending. And there haven't been you'd be hard pressed to find a Stanley cup champion that I can remember that didn't have at least above average goaltending. And often the team that wins the Stanley cup has the best goaltending over the course of the two months of the postseason, And usually that guy's good in the regular season as well. So the goaltending news for the Oilers today is that they deleted a goaltender as Dylan Wells was traded to the Carolina hurricanes. He was drafted by the Oilers back in 2016 123rd overall that was in the fifth round and uh you know probably a player that uh is Stuart Skinner is above him a couple other goaltending prospects coming Rodrigue Konovalov so Wells is traded to Carolina we'll see what the future uh, considerations turn out to be uh I would expect that it's actually Stuart Skinner who is protected in the expansion draft by the Edmonton Oilers uh, I doubt Seattle's going to jump on an unprotected Miko Koskinen Mike Smith is an unrestricted free agent uh, Ken Holland did say earlier in the offseason, I believe in his year-end address to uh, fans and media over Zoom shortly after the Oilers were eliminated that he kind of expects to bring back that same goaltending tandem. We'll see how that evolves as the summer goes on. But I just I just checked into some things today because I referenced it in the last couple of days, but I, I really hadn't looked up the, the numbers specifically on, on the goaltenders because we've been talking so much about Duncan Keith. Mike Smith had a really good year. And... I give him credit for that. I, I, of course, when he was signed in October, I understood the, the the criticism. I understood why a lot of Oilers fans were thinking, oh, man, couldn't have we done better? Certainly the Oilers went after Jacob Markstrom. He, he chose to play for the Calgary Flames. So, okay, the Oilers circled back to Mike Smith. He signed here. And after missing the first three weeks of the season injured, he, uh, he was quite good. Uh, I, I mean, he was quite good. He, he had a 923 save percentage which was really, really solid. He finished seventh in Vesna Trophy uh, voting. And actually, if you factor in goaltenders who played at least 15 games last season, so about a quarter of the, of the games out of 56, Mike Smith was seventh in save percentage. So if you, if you look at the stats and if you look at how he was perceived by the general managers who vote for the Vesna Trophy, you can kind of say Mike Smith was the seventh best goalie in the NHL, which is which is pretty good for the regular season. Now, what are the mitigating circumstances? Well, it wasn't over the course of an 82-game season. He, uh, he wound up playing 32 games in the regular season. He allowed 71 goals, pretty good goals against average as, as well of 2.31. He had three shutouts. Uh, I mean, he was 21-6-2 in, in 32 appearances, 30 starts. I mean, he won two-thirds of his starts. It's hard to argue with how Mike Smith played. If Mike Smith were a 25- or 26-year-old goaltender, we're probably not having this conversation. We're probably sitting here saying, oh, my goodness, the Oilers got a guy who can be a, a top-10 goalie in the NHL for the next six or seven years. But because of Smith's age and because, you know, when he has had bad stretches, they have tend to been really bad. And I go back to November and December of 2019, which I know is ages ago, but you know, he kind of had a rough six or seven weeks there. So um, I, even if Mike Smith comes back, I, I think it's still fair to question how is he going to do at this stage of his career and over 82 games. 
it's it's a pretty fine line just just for fun because i, I referenced uh, talking with bob yesterday and, and i think a couple other times that what if mike smith's uh save percentage dropped by you know like by 10 percent for example he had a 923 save percentage he allowed 800 or sorry he had 850 saves on 921 shots and i thought to myself what if he allowed uh, you know 10 more goals and then his save percentage would drop down to 912, which would still have him uh, kind of as about the 21st to 25th best goalie in the NHL. And some of these goalies I sorted with save percentage were really their team's backup. So if Mike Smith drops down to, say, 912 next year, it's probably average goaltending if you look at the whole league. And it would probably still be enough for the Oilers to make the playoffs. Don't forget, there's another goalie on the scene. And that's Miko Koskinen, who, man, oh, man, he is he is interesting to talk about, isn't he? And, and I'm sure for some of you, not always in a good way. And, and certainly last year for me, doing overtime over line with Rob and following the games, like there were some nights I watched Miko Koskinen and I thought to myself, how is this guy in the National Hockey League? And I, I'm not saying that to be mean or tear the guy apart, but there were games, especially when he had to start that huge stretch of games early when Smith wasn't available, some nights where he looked slow going post to post, where he was making saves, but the puck was squirting through him and maybe going wide or maybe going in or maybe being pulled off the goal line by a teammate or saves he made, and then he did not know where the rebound was. Then Smith came back, and for the most part, Koskinen was good. He, he did not finish the season well in his last three appearances. But I also checked for Mike Smith how many days between starts did he, how many days between starts for Miko Koskinen after Mike Smith returned? 11, 9, 7, 5, 5, 2, 8, 21, 5, 3, 4, 5. So he had a, he had 21 days between starts when the Oilers had the the COVID delay with the the Canadians and all that, and the Canucks and all that was going that was going on, um, but generally he was getting at least five days between starts. So, and generally he was uh, he was okay. Like he had some really good games once Smith came back, and then he didn't finish the season well. I mean, he had that game against Vancouver where he allowed four goals on four shots. He played a game in Montreal where he got the win, but he gave up a tying goal from a really bad angle. And then that last regular season game against the Canucks, he, he gave up two not-so-great goals and one really bad goal in the third period, and the Oilers lost the game 4-1. So, again, it's, it's, he, looks, he looks like a good backup goalie, when his starts are really, really limited. Like we're start, we're talking about every third game at most for Miko Koskinen to appear the most comfortable. Uh, you'd prefer to have a good backup or you might have to say, Hey buddy, like our guys, a little, the other guys banged up. Like you got to start six of the next eight to give him a break. And in those situations, Koskinen has not looked as, as good. So I'm just bringing it up in the context that I think a, a largely what happens to the Oilers in the next season is still going to be determined by goaltending and Smith played well enough. I think that the Oilers can still be a playoff team if he drops off slightly and he gets decent support from Miko Koskinen, but it's such a fine line. And if, you know, if the save percentage drops a bit, they should be okay. If the save percentage drops from a, like a 923 to a 907, for example, a 905, quite frankly, they're probably doomed whether Duncan Keith is a Norris Trophy defenseman or a press box defenseman. 
that's how important it is with goaltending. Anyway, 780-496-0063, back after this break. Inside Sports on Chet. Good to have you tuning in tonight. Hey, I'm really excited for this interview coming up between 6.30 and 7. I, I know it's a good one because I had to tape it earlier because of Aaron Grimes' schedule, defensive back for the Edmonton Elks. And it is uh, a day in the life of a player in training camp for Aaron Grimes. It's pretty busy. He did have time to do this uh, Zoomer with me. About when did we do it? I think about two fifteen this afternoon. Uh, I, I knew football players were busy. I, I know training camp is a, is much more about what they do off the field. Uh, well, no, I shouldn't say more about off the field, but that there's a ton of off the field stuff, classroom work, film study, meetings, and uh, wow, he's he's going to take you through it, and uh, he, he he'll take you pretty deep into what he does, how he gets ready, what what the schedule is like when and where he gets to eat who he eats with even it's in some situations uh, i was really interested in it and i hope you guys will be as well a couple of text messages to 780-496-0063 this uh, individual says uh, hey, hey if you got a chance uh, sign a name to your text even if you want to use uh, a handle i always feel like uh, a little more uh, personal and i'm more likely to read those ones but i will read this from uh, this one from anonymous who did spell my name correctly thank you for that says read what you need a save you need to get it from your goaltender the goals mike smith let in absolutely killed the spirit of the oilers look no further than game three versus uh winnipeg yeah the one i remember there certainly the tying goal from morrissey was from a long way out yeah i yeah i may have ticked on on the way in but I, I look at that as, as as a team collapse, not just a goaltender collapse. But yes, sometimes when the team isn't playing well, you need the goalie to steady the ship. Now, to that texture, and and I and I totally understand what you're saying. So I'm not uh, I'm not saying this to be argumentative. I'm just saying to offer another aspect of the evaluation of Smith's season. I thought Mike Smith was pretty good, especially in a lot of first periods or first 10 minutes when the Oilers didn't play very well. And that would be another nitpicky criticism I would, I would have of the Oilers when they, as they try to progress from a good team to a great team that I think they, they need to start games better. And I thought there were too many nights and Rob and I talked about this after several games when, you know, they, they could have been down, 2-1, 3-1, 2-0, 3-0 after the first period. But because of the goaltending, they got out of it 1-1, scoreless, maybe even with a lead. And I thought Smith was a big part of that. So I think there were were a lot of times when he did give the Oilers the save they needed. Fair enough. Game three against Winnipeg, which, let's face it, effectively ended the season. Yeah, he he didn't make those saves when uh, the Jets were coming back in the third. Sonny in Vancouver. Sonny, thank you for uh, listening from Vancouver tonight. He says, hey, Reed, another issue with Smith is that with older goalies, there's a higher chance of injuries. What was Smith's injury at the beginning of the season that kept them out for an extended period of time? Yeah, uh, that was a muscle pull. I think it was in his leg. And remember, he was the backup goalie for the first game of the season. So I think something, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think something actually happened in warm-up. And then uh, they put him on long-term injured reserve and Koskinen played until, uh, what was it, game 14 of the season, I believe. Daryl says, Reed, the uh, 
Players celebrating the Stanley Cup should wear shoes with traction in reference to Patrick Maroon slipping on a wet service and damaging the Stanley Cup. They got to be wearing those spikes. <laughs> uh, and Gary in Cold Lake, beautiful community, Cold Lake. I used to go cover the Grand Center Royals football team sometimes. Gary says, hey, Reed Duncan Keith will help the young kids. Look what Shea Weber did for Montreal. He is so pumped to play with the best hockey players in the world. That is from Gary in Cold Lake. Appreciate that. 780-496-0063. We will continue with the hockey talk and focus on it uh, heavily later on with Brad Lauer, the head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings. He has a really cool coaching opportunity this summer and two of his star players very likely to go in the first round of the NHL draft next Saturday. And a day in the life of Aaron Grimes at Elks training camp when we get back. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. This texture says, what about buying out Koskinen and the Oilers going after Dar- Darcy Kemper or going with Mike Smith and Alex Stalock? At this time, I don't think they're going to buy out Koskinen. Stalock is interesting to me. The drawback for him is he hasn't played a game since August of last year. Uh, I understand why you're asking me that, though. I, I don't, th- at this point, I, I don't think a Koskinen buyout is going to happen, but who knows? John says, I love the Duncan Keith acquisition. Smith deserves and has earned the right to come back next year, and I hope a deal can be made with Larson. That's from John. Ice Castle's Brad checking in. I love when this individual writes into the show. Says, wondering if you can address the narrative that Ka- uh, that Koskinen struggled at the start of the season because he was forced to play so many games. That theory falls apart for me because he didn't start strong. He struggled from the very beginning of the season. So having too many starts seems like a red herring. Your thoughts? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I still think that he's better off when he has uh, rest between games. And you're right. He he was he wasn't great that that whole stretch when he had to what, what he played twelve out of thirteen because Skinner played that one game. Um, I, I guess Ice Castle's Brad, and that's a really good point. First of all, okay, he's not a starting goalie. He's a he's a backup goalie at best in the NHL, and I'm not even sure if he's a top tier backup. He might be like an average backup. There, there have been times where I thought, well, maybe he's a really good backup. I'm not sh- so sure if overall he is. So I think when you're in that ca- category of goalie, you're not as good and you're more likely to have a bad game sometimes, even if you are rested. I, I still personally think Ice Castle's Brad, you're more likely to see a good start from Koskinen if he's had at least five days between games. That's how I look at it. That's a good question, though. And uh, I think you made me think a little bit. And you probably disagree with me, but that's okay. But that's how, that's how I would look at it. And you're probably going to send me a DM on Instagram now, <laughs> which is okay. Uh, 
And Brian says, uh, hi, Reed. My biggest issue with the Oilers was not so much the first 10 minutes. It was the basic fact that rather than playing a full solid 60, they would play five minutes solid here, five minutes solid there, and then they never seem to be showing up for a full game. Uh, yeah, that's interesting, Brian. I, I'm not sure if I see it exactly that way. I mean, I think there are going to be times in a game where you're outplayed. Even good teams are going to get outplayed for stretches. Um, If you get outplayed for five minutes and you can get it back on track, that's not so bad. You know, I think we're far removed from the uh, Oilers teams that would finish in the bottom three in the league and that would be outplayed for 60 minutes at a time over seven consecutive games. Um but yeah, I mean, and there there are holes in the roster, and that probably led a little bit to the swinginess as as well. But uh, good point. But I, I had kind of a lot of issues with some of the starts to games personally. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Okay, this is a good one. We have Aaron Grimes, defensive back for the Edmonton Elks. Aaron, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. It's nice to talk to you again. Of course, I, I know we talked uh, briefly before when you signed with the Elks. So what's it like being an Edmontonian again now that you're actually back? It's amazing. It, it feels like I'm back home, you know, driving around. Uh, you know, when I came into town, I came from, you know, the south side and just kind of already know my way again or, or driving from the hotel to the stadium every day for camp. Uh, it's amazing. I, I love it here and I'm so happy to be back. Are you, uh, and I don't expect you to give the, the details away, but are you living close to where you lived before or have you settled into a different neighborhood? I'm living close to where I lived before and I really tried to get this this spot uh, down in the Oliver Square area because uh, last time I was here, my seven-year-old daughter loved walking to 7-Eleven every day. So uh, that was one of our, our deals on me coming back up here was she wanted to be able to walk back to 7-Eleven. So I found a spot close to 7-Eleven again. Okay, well, that's a good deal. Good for you to accommodate your daughter. Hey, you know, training camp here is is off and running, and we hear a lot about uh, all the preparation and planning and on-field and off-field work you guys have to do. So I was hoping we could go down that road a little bit. Let, let's start at the very beginning. What time were you up this morning, and what time did you report to Commonwealth? Oh, I'm setting my alarm right now for uh, 5.45, between 5.45 and 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, wake up, brush my teeth, uh, you know, use the bathroom, uh, you know, throw my clothes on, and I'm to the stadium probably 6.20-ish, um, 6.30, and I start eating breakfast right away. All right, so an early start. At least, I guess, the advantage is the sun's already up in this part of the world at that time. So right. yeah, you got that on your side. So it's an early day. Now, when you get to Commonwealth, are, are you doing something physical right away, or is it something, uh, you know, more in, in a playbook or a meeting type thing? Well, uh, if you want to make it a long time in this league, you're doing something physical, a little bit of recovery, um, you know, just waking your muscles up. It's so early in the morning. Um, I like to get down and... and foam roll, uh, put a band around my legs and, and just kind of wake my muscles up. Um, because we, we start with an eight o'clock meeting. Um, and then, so we're going to go sit back down for a little bit before practice starts. But like I said, you know, the older you get, the more you need to wake those muscles up and start warming them up before you hit that field. So <laughs> I eat my breakfast, I get right down to the training room and start making sure these, these old joints are ready to go. Okay, so when you dive into that 8 o'clock meeting, is that the whole team? Is that just the D, just your position? Who's in that one? 
We usually start with the, um, so far it seems like we've started with a special teams meeting uh, to start the day. And then just a quick special teams, we'll go over maybe some stuff we didn't cover, what we're going to put in for the day, straight to defense, you know, same thing, finish up some old film, get ready for, for what's ahead, you know, go over whatever we're installing for the day. And uh, so those are two quick meetings. And then from there you transition, you know, you finish putting all us old guys, we finish putting those the flex all on our knees and our lower backs and uh, finish getting ready. And I get back where, you know, we're on the field, 915 sharp on the jug machine. I should remind people you are not 71 years old. You're just, I think, making it sound that way out of some modesty. <laughs> Day five at camp, I might feel like it. I don't know. <laughs> I might feel it. Well, you know, uh, as as you know, I, uh, I'm i on after every Oilers game with a gentleman named Rob Brown who used to play in the NHL. And uh he always uh, says, you know, or if, or if a fan calls in and says, well, what is it like playing hurt? Or he goes, well, you're playing hurt after your first shift of the season. So <laughs> probably the same applies to you guys. There's always pain. Absolutely. One of our biggest things that we always hear is on the first day of training camp, you're never going to feel as fresh as you do now until next year. So enjoy it. <laughs> so enjoy the moment. Okay. Aaron Grimes from the Edmonton Elks joining us tonight Inside Sports. So here's what, I, here's what I'm curious about because, um, you know, as a media member, um, I, I have been able to attend practice sometimes. I know Dave and Morley are the regular guys there, there at Chad, but we get a sense of what you guys are doing sort of on the field. There's so much preparation that we don't see when you, like you said, the, your workouts or your stretching and then the meetings and the, and the classroom type stuff. So how right now in training camp, how much of the day is spent in a meeting or, well, let's just call them meetings, not classrooms. How, how much is spent in a meeting type situation right now? We are spending by far more time in the meeting room than we are on the practice field right now. You know, the physical aspect, you know, a lot of us are grown men. We get that aspect of it. Obviously we need to continue to practice to get better, but it's the understanding of what's going on when you are on the field so you can play fast that, uh, you know, a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people will forget about. Um, we start our day with a meeting. We have meetings throughout the day. We end the day with meetings before we go back to the hotel. I mean, it's, it's one of the hardest part about training camp to me is all of the meetings. You know, you got to stay awake for them. I'm drinking three cups of coffee a day right now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, making sure that I'm alert, you know, because – you start getting those those heavy eyelids, and next thing you know, the coach asks you a question, and you better be awake and paying attention. Otherwise, you're going to look bad, and you might get your plane taken home. Yeah, well, that that's a good point, and that's another way coaches are evaluating. It's how much attention you play, you pay in a meeting and answering questions or even asking questions probably sometimes. So will it be – I mean, I think – We've all watched, uh, you know, movies about football and it's the coach and he's got a chalkboard or a whiteboard and he's drawing the X's and the O's. Like, is that is that a myth? How are things actually communicated to you guys in these meetings? You know, Hollywood does a good job of, of uh, playing things up a little bit, but it's pretty similar. Uh, we're just in 2021 now, so it's all on PowerPoints and things like that. Uh, but yeah, when they put the playbook in, they'll put that or, or a new install, a defensive install. You get your notebook out, and when it's up on the screen, you write down what you need to write down. You, you draw up your job, the jobs around you, and, uh, you know, and it's only going to be up there for so long. So, so take good notes, quick notes, um, get it all down, and then from there, we're moving on. Okay, so the, the coach puts up a play, a scheme, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. 
is there is it discussion with the players like especially you as a, as a veteran guy could you ever say like hey coach th- that's good but I'm wondering if that's going to work against Bo Levi Zach whoever or is it pretty much like no I'm the player and I just got to shut up and do it no, no matter what even if I have my doubts about it like is there any back and forth uh there's never back and forth between myself and the coach okay. I've seen it before uh it doesn't usually end up well for the player um but in training camp it's more so this is the defense and this is how we run it we will get into game scheme come season time right now it's not whether or not so-and-so can pick this play up or pick this play apart right now it's you know this is our scheme and uh we will you know we'll modify it for each team as we go along but for now this is what it is so learn it get your questions out now and uh when we hit the field (laughs) don't mess it up okay so it's so it's meet about it go out on the field and practice it and then is it meet again and talk about it after and right now are you even watching film of your own practice sessions yeah so so meet about it talk about it you know get all the questions out now we're going to go on the field we're going to walk through what we just met about um and then we're going to practice it we're going to call those plays during practice and then we're going to watch practice on those plays later after dinner or after lunch um and then we're going to correct what was wrong from those plays and now that that's all been done when i call that play tomorrow you do not make that same mistake twice <laughs> okay well that makes sense i think that's a, a fair expectation for from coach to player you're you're allowed one mistake and and then it's fixed okay so i think now we're sort of mid-afternoon is that fair in sort of the timeline you've taken me through a little later uh, in the day we're probably after lunch at this point when we're, when okay. we're meeting again yeah okay so then what's next is it winding down for you or is there still a hour oh no stuff no we didn't even close we just okay. we just we just got halfway at that point okay <laughs> so after we're getting done with lunch um a little bit of downtime recovery time you know cold tubs things like that because you know uh you got to take care of your body it's, it's a pretty physical game um and then you're right back to the meeting room you know get your notebooks out uh get your cup of coffee in because you don't want that food coma to put you out so yeah, your, your pen and paper. And uh, what I like to do is I like to make corrections. You know, if the coach is coaching me up on a play or somebody in my position um, and I feel like it's important, I'll write that down. You know, I'll go practice three notes and everything that I'm coached on or things that I pick up in the film room, I'm taking that little note in my notebook so I don't make that mistake myself. Um, and we're doing special teams um, team. You know, Coach Elizondo will get up there and show some good stuff and some bad stuff from the day break special teams special teams for you know 30 minutes to an hour quick break defensive meetings <laughs> and, and then we get a dinner break <laughs> okay that's that's five six o'clock then okay yeah 5 15 5 30. okay so how much with you as a as a veteran experienced player how much time do you have right now for you to pass your knowledge on to the younger guys is that something you even have time to do right now that is so crazy you asked that question. I was talking to Trevor Harris at breakfast this morning, and we were talking about the fine line of, you know, getting yourself right for the season, but also being that leader who's there for the young guys and, and getting them right for the season as well. And it's a pretty fine line. I would say um, I'm there as needed and as much as needed. If you have a question, I, I, I want to make sure that you understand it the same way that the vets helped me when I was young. But if you don't have a question, I assume you know, and, and I'm getting myself right. 
you, you know, so it's kind of that, that fine line of, I don't want to overdo my boundary. I'm not the coach. I don't want to overstep, but if you do have a question, please feel free to come ask me and, and we'll get right together. Okay. Aaron Grimes joining us on inside sports as he's taken us through a day at Elks training camp. All right. So after supper, uh, then what is it? Are, are you going home at some point? I, I wish <laughs> you're not sleeping I, at the stadium. I, almost. I, I might as well at this point, <laughs> uh, after dinner, it's right back to meetings. Uh, we'll have a, a team meeting, you know, we call it a housekeeping stuff. Um, you know, just for example, Hey guys, when you're cutting your, uh, ankle wraps off for the day, just make sure they're getting to the garbage, you know, just little small things like that, that we just keep up on. And that's the team meeting. Uh, he'll lay out the schedule for the next, for tomorrow, the next day, um, when the buses leave for the hotel, when they come back in the morning. Um, so that team meeting is actually pretty, pretty quick. Um, and then it's right back to special teams meetings again and uh, finishing up film, but also installing for the next day. So uh, maybe we, we worked on punt today. Well, tomorrow we're going to work on punt return. This is our punt return scheme. Again, write all this down, get it down. You're going to study it tonight when you get back to the hotel. Uh, and then we'll go to defense, and it's the same thing. Here's tomorrow's install. Here's the plays we're putting in tomorrow. We'll go through all 12 positions. This is what you guys do. This is how the defense works. Write it down. Um, because, again, if you want to make it a long time in this league, you'll take those notes back to the hotel with you, and you'll look at your playbook and your notes throughout the night before you go to bed. So when you come in in the morning, you got it down. Okay. Well, this is intense. Uh, this is uh, this is a, an interesting aspect into the life of a pro football player. So what time do you expect to go to bed tonight? I w I'm hoping to go to bed by uh, probably 10, 30, or 11 o'clock. Okay. Uh, everybody's a little bit different. I like to talk to my wife and kids before I go to bed. They're back home on the West Coast, so they're an hour behind. Um, you know, I'll get, we get out of here 9.15, 9.30 somewhere around there, um, get back to the hotel, unwind a little bit, kick my feet up, uh, throw on some recovery stuff, and uh, yeah, talk to the family before I go to bed. Well, that's an intense day. So you got about uh, sort of an hour or so of what most people might call, you know, your leisure time or your free time or whatever. Uh, right. So thanks for taking us through that. That that That's amazing. That's that's the look into it I, I wanted. And you use the word meeting a lot. So that'll remind people what you're up to. Um, yeah. Are you, what, what are you thinking about no preseason games? Like I asked, I asked Coach Elizondo in a Zoom availability on the weekend. He said, well, you know, we don't have a choice, but you always worry about, you know, no contact, no no tackling. What do you, what do you think about no preseason? Um, I understand it obviously. And, and I get it. And if that's what we have to do to get a season kicked off this year, then I'm totally with it. Um, but I do have those concerns of first and foremost, I, I really feel bad for the young guys. Um, I know when I made the team, those preseason games were huge for me, right? I had to show the coaches what I could do come game time. And without those young guys getting that opportunity, it, I think it could be a little bit harder for them to make the team this year. Um, because they're not going to be able to have a live, you know, game rep. And we're going to do scrimmages, but scrimmages aren't the same as facing another team. Um, so that's tough for the young guys. Um, and then for myself personally, like you said, we're going not just no preseason, but also no season last year. So the last time I tackled somebody was early October of 2019. Um, so, you know, just crossing my fingers, hoping and praying and wishing, you know, whatever I got to do that 
we, we all come out of that first game healthy and happy. Um, but, you know, at this point, I'm going to call myself old again. I, I think I remember how to tackle. You know, I'll be able to turn it on come game time. And uh, like I said, as long as the body holds up, then we'll be doing just fine. Well, Aaron, this was this was really enlightening. So thanks for sharing this. I, I think it gives fans a, a lot of a lot of insight in what these days are like for you guys and how hard you're working. It's great to talk to you again. You probably have a meeting to get to, so I'll let you go. And I look forward to having you on later in the season. Rita, I appreciate that. I, do, I got a meeting in 30 minutes, so I'll uh, I'll go text my wife, tell her I love her, and start heading upstairs. bringing you back from break that was something with Aaron Grimes and as I mentioned we had to tape that uh, in the afternoon because of his schedule with practice and meetings throughout the day so he's at Commonwealth Stadium from about 6 20 in the morning until about 9 30 at night on the field in the meeting rooms in the meal room and uh, that's how it goes for training camp the Elks first game and we have it for you on 6.30, Chad, 8 p.m. Saturday, August 7th at home against the Ottawa Red Blacks. We'll get some more great stories from Blake Dermott coming up in the next half hour of the show. Oil Kings head coach Brad Lauer is on the docket as well. Hey, hope you're having a great day. Hope you're staying cool. Maybe you have a little AC or a pool to hang out in or next to while you're listening to Inside Sports. I'll be back in a few minutes. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.